Carl, I wish you'd have kept singing. Our time is kind of shot anyway. That's okay. My temptation is to skip this next little part, but I'm going to go ahead and, and share it. Oh, Holy Night became my favorite Christmas song, Kyle. I think it was 1998 when Lori and our family uh, were living in Mansfield, and we went over to Dallas to Reunion Arena to a Christmas concert by Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. And in the middle of the program, uh, Amy Grant started talking about this, this hymn, Oh, Holy Night. And she said, it's one of my favorites. And, and she said, even though I'm a pretty accomplished singer, and even though this is my favorite Christmas song, it doesn't mean I can sing it. And she called C.C. Winans on the stage. And Reunion Arena was never the same uh, after that. And at that point, it became uh, my favorite uh, Christmas uh, hymn. And I knew Kyle a couple weeks ago was going to be singing uh, this particular uh, hymn this morning or leading us in this, in this hymn. And just last week on social media, I, I came across this uh, article by Michael Frost. Michael Frost, uh, I have several of his books in my library. He's a missiologist and has done a, a lot of a lot of work in missions and uh, has written on that particular topic. But the title of this article is Midnight Christians, the most radical Christmas song ever written. Well, the title captured my attention, and so I went to the article, and it's about this song, Oh Holy Night. It was written in 1847. And uh, here, briefly, is, is the story behind this song. A Frenchman by the name of Placide Capot, who Frost describes as an irreligious French wine merchant and part-time poet. Uh, he was commissioned in 1843 to write a Christmas poem to celebrate the recent renovation of the local parish church organ in his hometown. Capot was happy to do it, but being an irregular church attender, he had to reread the Gospel of Luke to brush up on the nativity story. Nonetheless, he completed it in time for a reading at midnight mass on Christmas Eve. And so that's why in French... Our song, O Holy Night, is titled Midnight Christians. It was a few years later that a gentleman by the name of Adolf Adam, uh, another Frenchman and a composer, wrote the music that uh, Capot's poem uh, was put to. And what's unusual about this gentleman uh, is he was a Jew. And as uh, Frost says, very few people uh, know that the song was written by a Jew and a non-religious liquor store owner. Uh, I want to take just a moment uh, to read uh, a more literal translation of uh, what eventually became 
this Christmas song, O Holy Night. And if you have your hymnal, you might turn. Uh, do you remember what number that is, uh, Kyle? And just kind of follow along uh, our English rendition as, as I read, uh, again, a more literal uh, translation from, uh, from the French. 1028, hymn number 1028. Midnight, Christians, is the solemn hour when God as man descended unto us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of His Father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night that gives it a Savior. People kneel down, await your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. May the ardent light of our faith guide us all to the cradle of the infant. As in ancient times, a brilliant star guided the Oriental kings there. The King of Kings was born in a humble manger. O mighty ones of today, proud of your greatness, it is to your pride that God preaches. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. The Redeemer has broken every bond. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those whom iron, iron had chained. Who will tell him of our gratitude? For all of us, he is born, he suffers, and dies. People, stand up. Sing of your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas. Sing of the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, sing of the Redeemer. Oh, holy night. There are only three shopping days left until Christmas, and all three days begin with the letter T. Today, tomorrow, and Tuesday. In a Peanuts comic strip, Lucy was saying that Christmas is a time for kindness and a time to forgive one another. So Charlie Brown responds, why do that just at Christmas? Why can't we have the Christmas spirit the rest of the year? Well, of course, Lucy looks at Charlie with disdain on her face and says, what are you, some kind of religious fanatic? I thought it was interesting that Capoe went to the Gospel of Luke to reread and to refresh himself of the Christmas story. Well, we began a little study of Luke chapter 1 last Sunday, and we began uh, by looking at verses 5 through 25, in which Luke recounts the story of the angel Gabriel being sent to Zechariah. Zechariah, you might remember, was a priest. 
And it was his time of service at the temple in Jerusalem. And Zechariah experienced a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity when the lot fell on him and he went into God's presence. And it was when he entered into God's presence that Gabriel appeared to him and promised that he and his wife Elizabeth would receive a son. And what was amazing about this announcement to Zechariah, first of all, they were old in their age, and secondly, Elizabeth was infertile. And because of this unbelief, he asked for a sign, and he is struck dumb until his son, John, is born. And so last week, our primary point from uh, studying this account was that waiting becomes a primary activity of the faithful. And we were encouraged to claim, uh, and and there are any number of texts in both the Old Testament and the New Testament which uh, we, we could go to to make this point, But we were encouraged to claim Psalm 27 and verse 14, which reads, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And we made the point that this Hebrew word translated as wait in Psalm 27 can also be translated as trust in the Lord. Hope in the Lord, be confident in the Lord. It is a word of great faithfulness and obedience. But Luke's gospel continues then in chapter 1 in verse 26 with now Gabriel being sent to someone else. And this time it is to a young Jewish girl by the name of Mary. So this morning we want to uh, continue this Christmas theme by looking at Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through uh, 38, a text that is often known as the Annunciation because it is the announcement by the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary of her conception of the Christ. I have chosen to divide this text into uh, three parts, the first being verses 26 through uh, 28, where, uh, again, Gabriel is sent to Mary, and she becomes an unexpected recipient of God's grace. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, a couple of things. Uh, First of all, unlike our lesson uh, last week, Gabriel this time is not sent Uh, to the grand capital city of Jerusalem, but to an obscure Galilean village that history tells us 
in the first century consisted of a population of only 500 people. It was the home, we are told, of Joseph, a descendant of David, thus connecting the uh, birth of the promised Messiah as a descendant of King David. We are introduced to his fiancée, uh, fiance Mary. Luke emphasizes her purity by twice referring to, uh, to her as the virgin. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand, based on uh, Jewish marriage practices of this time, Mary was probably only about 13 years old. The word that's translated as greeting in uh, the NIV perhaps would better be translated as rejoice. Gabriel is emphasizing to her uh, God's choice of her, that this is occasion in which to rejoice and again to put her hope and faith in the Lord and he reminds her of God's presence with her when he says the Lord is with you. And again, this, this is a phrase that we find quite often in the Old Testament uh, where it's used in reference to a person chosen by God for a special purpose and assuring the individual of not only God's presence but divine resources and protection as well. And so the story continues in verse, uh, verses 29 through 37 where now Gabriel informs Mary of an unbelievable assignment. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be, be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age and she who is uh, said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. If you go back to verse 29, uh, after this initial encounter and greeting by Gabriel to uh, Mary, uh, the text reads that Mary was greatly troubled. We find here a word very similar to the word that we discussed last week when Gabriel first appeared to Zechariah. It's basically the same root, but depending on the context, can mean different things. And I think the NIV uh, was, very, was very good in um, uh, its, its translation of this particular word in reference to Zechariah when it says he was startled. And like most encounters that we read in Scripture uh, of individuals and an angel, there, there is this uh, startlement. 
There is this nervousness. There is even this, this fear when an angel appears. But here, a better word might be perplexed. Because Luke is very clear that uh, Mary's um, troubleness, if you will, comes from the words that she hears. Now, she might have been a little startled when Gabriel just appears to her, but the perplexity in her mind of what Gabriel said, the word would then suggest perhaps some confusion, uh, being confounded by what he has initially shared. And so Gabriel reassures her of God's favor with her. And he goes on to predict seven things about the son that she will bear. He will be miraculously conceived. He is to be named Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. He will be placed upon the throne of David. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And finally, in fact, his kingdom will never end. And so as she continues to be perplexed about this, as she continues to ponder uh, these things in her mind, I would suggest to you this morning that her objection differs differently from what we saw last week in Zacharias. Mary asked, how will this be? Not as Zachariah asked, how can this be? She does not ask for confirmation through a sign, but instead ask in what manner this will happen. You see, Zachariah doubted, asked, forgetting there was biblical precedent for his circumstances. You know, there are uh, several stories from the Old Testament where God opened the womb of an elderly woman and she was able to conceive. But there is no example of a virgin becoming pregnant. And so uh, Gabriel, as best he can, uh, explains to her how she will miraculously conceive the Son of God. And he uses two phrases. First of all, he says that uh, God will come upon her. And uh, the Greek phrase there is, is very interesting. It is a compound word, to come upon, and then followed by a preposition, which means upon. And so a very literal translation would be, to come upon, upon. And then he uses another word, which occurs uh, in uh, two other contexts in uh, the New Testament that is typically translated as overshadow. It is used in uh, the synoptic accounts, uh, Matthew 17, 5, Mark 9, 7, and Luke 9, 34, uh, when Jesus and Peter and John uh, ascended on the Mount of Transfiguration and it says that God's cloud overshadowed or enveloped them. It is also used in Acts chapter 5 and verse 15 in the early history of the church. Uh, Luke uh, records uh, the miracles that uh, God empowered the apostles to do. And in Acts 5, we read where 
people were just trying uh, to be placed under Peter's shadow to receive uh, healing and to be overshadowed by uh, Peter. So this idea of enveloping or covering would be the process uh, through which Mary would conceive. And so even though she doesn't ask for a sign, he gives her one by telling her of her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy. In fact, she is in her uh, sixth month and declares that God's word will not be void. And so uh, this encounter that Mary has with Gabriel concludes in verse 38 with an uncompromising obedience. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary's response is perhaps the best definition of faith in all of Scripture. The desire for God's word to become a reality in her life. Mary embraces God's purpose for her life without regard to its personal cost. And in fact, she says that she is the Lord's servant. Servant is not a strong enough translation for that Greek word. It's slave. It's slave. And so Mary expresses uh, her ultimate obedience and the fact that she has placed her faith and trust in God's will for her life. So this morning, I want us to reflect upon this encounter that Mary had with the angel Gabriel. And I want to suggest seven things that we might uh, consider as we uh, ponder this story ourselves. Number one, Mary brings nothing on her resume other than her availability and willingness to serve. Uh, several of the secondary uh, resources that I consulted in preparation for this lesson uh, went and compared Mary with Zechariah. And even, even though they are, they are both Jews, two completely different resumes, if you will. Zechariah, again, was of Aaronic descent. He was of the priestly tribe. And, and so he was regularly in Jerusalem, in fact, twice a year, uh, to uh, fulfill his priestly duties at the temple. We also know about uh, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, of their character. Luke describes them as being very righteous, very obedient uh, to God's law, very conscious of doing what God's will was for their lives. We really don't know much about Mary, except that she is pure and evidently 12 and a half to maybe 13 years old. But she makes herself available, and she is willing to serve. So I think the lesson is, is pretty simple to see. Regardless of who we are, Regardless of prior experience, regardless of our own resume, whether it's one of priestly descent or one of just being a 13-year-old virgin, God 
is ready to use us. And so number two, humility then becomes a byproduct of reflection about who God is. Now, we don't have time this morning, but if we uh, were to continue through the rest of Luke chapter 1, immediately after the angel leaves Mary, uh, she goes to Bethlehem to visit her uh, relative Elizabeth. And they have this wonderful encounter. And eventually, Mary breaks out in song. We, uh, we occasionally sing that song. It's referred to as the Magnificat. And in this beautiful uh, hymn of praise, Mary emphasizes humility. Uh, being a humble servant. And the humility that should occur anytime we encounter the presence of God. And usually, uh, in, in reference uh, to that, uh, scholars will then take us to Philippians chapter 2 uh, in a Pauline text that is often referred to as the Christ hymn where Paul emphasizes the humility of Jesus himself. And so the importance, again, of being willing to be an obedient servant of God. So number three, we do not have the honor of parenting the Savior of the world, as Mary did, but we do have the blessing of becoming one of his children. And my favorite text that emphasizes that point comes also from Paul in Galatians chapter 3, where he emphasizes that our salvation is by obedient faith. And he says that as many of you who have been baptized into Jesus, who have put on Jesus, is now a child of God. And so we have this wonderful blessing of being a child of our Savior. Number four, we must never forget that the Lord is also with us. In fact, if you go over to Matthew's birth account, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, there the angel appears to Joseph. And he is reassuring Joseph of Mary's purity and divine conception. And he tells Joseph... He is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so God remains with his people today through his spirit. And as we go out into this world, we are not alone. God is with us. And so number five, status and identity are truly found in obedience to God. If you were here last week, you might remember, even though we emphasized the priestly descent, not only of Zechariah, but even of his wife Elizabeth, that really the important thing that Luke says about them, that he tells us about this couple, was their righteousness and their willingness to be obedient to God and as best they could to respond to God in trust and obedience. And so that is where they, they really found their status and identity. And that is where Mary finds her own status and identity. Again, this willingness to be God's servant. 
So number six, God requires cooperation to accomplish his divine plan. He wants to use us, each one of us, just as he wanted to use Zachariah and Elizabeth, and just as he wanted to use Mary and Joseph, and then the 12 that Jesus called, and, and all the other disciples that we read about in the book of Acts. And so we cooperate with God's divine plan, and especially his plan for each of us. Which then leads us uh, to number uh, seven. Uh, the last thing that Gabriel says to Mary in verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. I like the older translations a little better, which read, nothing is impossible for God. And, and perhaps you think this morning that, well, God could never use me. Maybe it's because of your past. Maybe it's because of where you are presently. Maybe it's because of all the things that you think are impossible to overcome. To be a servant, or better, a slave of God. But nothing is impossible to him. The compliant and faithful Mary represents what God calls us to be as faithful disciples. And so we must grasp that message this morning. That God desires for each, of, each one of us to be a faithful disciple. And so Charlie Brown is right. God is looking for a few fanatics. We, we would say God is looking for servants uh, to be obedient to Him and to be involved in His divine plan 24-7, 365 days out of the year. And I think, is it next year, leap year? So it'll be 366 days next year to be a faithful disciple. So God is looking for fanatics. Can you be one, just as Mary was? We're going to stand. Kyle's going to lead us in one more song this morning. And we are asked to reflect, to remember the birth of Jesus, its significance, not just for the whole world, but individually for each one of us as a servant of God. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this morning, please come while we stand in.